Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. I, 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 I just switched my message during worship. I, I was headed down a, a path, and I, I feel like the Lord has just circled us back. So um, I want to I want to take what we've talked about with the, the reframing of Jesus came to show us the Father as he really is, and to confront the paradigm of the evil one who has twisted who the Father is. Uh, heaven is, is deliberate about displacing darkness on the earth. There is a... Uh, I, because... The evil one rules this planet. You know, the, Lucifer rules this world. It's the ruler of this world now comes, and he has nothing in me, Jesus says. He is the, he is the prince of the power of the air, which, which means literally he controls the airwaves, the broadcast, the media, the information that you get. You are being shaped by an antichrist agenda. And some people say, well, it's not affecting me at all. That just shows that you have no idea what's happening. The education system. The media entertainment, all these systems are driven by the prince of the power of the air. And I mentioned last night that, that we are in an epic battle to... displace the darkness, but it doesn't happen through fear and control. It happens through love and sacrifice. Come on, Danny. And, and, and that's why it is so fragile. It's so fragile because it's, God actually appeals to the very best part of who he created you to be. And Lucifer appeals to the very worst part of mankind. And so I want to talk to you about what it means to be led by the Spirit that is structured into the government of heaven. There is a flow from heaven to earth, and there are there are roles that, that pull on heaven and present Jesus to the earth. They, just, they flow from heaven to earth. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that God gave first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then goes on and lists some other things. But he says he gave first apostles. And, and, the, and, the, and the struggle that we have on the earth today, especially in the church, is that we don't know what first is. We don't really know what an apostle is. You know an apostle. Apostle's an old guy. <laughs> Apostles are old guys. Right, because we all know that Jesus surrounded himself with 12 old guys. I mean, today we would be hard-pressed to identify a 25-year-old apostle. It would be hard-pressed. I mean, you could find a 25-year-old pastor, 25-year-old Bible teacher, Evangelist, those 25-year-old prophets really stand out. (laughs) 25-year-old apostle. No, you can't have one of them. They got to be old. (laughs) Apostles are like a successful Christian career. Because we don't really understand what they are. And that is a successful scheme of the devil to tear away first on the body of Christ. To be sitting in a time when there's never been more effective teaching in the body of Christ ever on the planet, 2020. And we have congregation after congregation after congregation of charismatics and Pentecostals who really don't understand what first is. First, apostles. See, the role of apostle is to show the world the Father. Just like Jesus did. Jesus came to show first. The role of showing the world who the Father really is to confront the perverted version that the serpent holds mankind captive in. 
Chris Valton and I are, we've gathered at, uh, in our community in Reading, we've uh, gathered together 40 leaders. 40 leaders that come from all the different spheres of influence in our community. The, the police department, the juvenile uh, probation, school principals, uh, public health officials, uh, some media people were there. Uh, there were some people from the local uh, performing arts there. There were just every, every segment of society in our community is represented by somebody in that room, and they're all believers, and they don't know each other. They didn't know each other was there. So that was the chief part of, of gathering these people was to say, hey, there's other people on the team. And then, we, and then we, Chris began to share a message about ecosystems and how ecosystems uh, create their own fuel. They, they supply what the system needs to thrive. And uh, he had a great example. I'll, 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 it, it's just basically how you keep this thing flowing. And it's true with, with uh, healthy and unhealthy systems. And we went around the room and we asked each person to basically describe what would they, they would say was the um, biggest challenge to their sphere of responsibility, whether it was children uh, dropping out of school, teenage pregnancy, uh, juvenile delinquency, uh, STDs, you know, whatever it might have been. And, and, they, and then asked each of these people, what would you say is the chief contributor to this problem in your area of responsibility. And each one of them said the number one contributing factor to this problem happening in our sphere of influence is a lack of fathers. A lack of fathers is identified by the whole community as the chief problem of the community. And one of the key schemes of the devil is to remove from the body of Christ the function that shows the world the Father. Sound man, help me out. Ready? Sound guys? Help me. Ready? Such feelings coming over me. There is wonder in my Oh, we had fathers. We know what to do without them. We're not even really sure what apostles are. We know how to run this thing. We don't need any help. This is the end. Oh no. Oh no. It's the end of fathers as we know it. We're this so so much trouble. 
We don't have apostles. We don't know what to do. But you know what? It is hard to keep a good apostle down. Yeah, baby. The function of apostle in the body of Christ in this season right now, I feel like as I, as I watch worldwide events go on, as I, as I witness the Lord of the Rings happening right now, as I see the battle between good and evil crashing. I can see what the Lord is doing, and what the Lord is doing is he is bringing an apostolic reformation to the earth. He is, and in doing so, what he's doing is he is exposing the orphan wound of society. See, when you, when you introduce a father, the role of fathers to wounded children, they react to push that away. They react in self-preservation mode to continue to be the ones who make the rules. You remember when, when Moses leads people who've been held in slavery for 400 years. Now that's nearly twice as long as the United States has been here. For 400 years, all they knew was enslavement. And now Moses has led them across the sea because they so wanted freedom. No. They are being chased out of their enslavement by the wicked slave masters. They are now fleeing for their life. They are in self-preservation mode still to get across the sea and then God has to zip it up behind them to keep them over there. Wow. I mean, it's interesting that God wants to set his own people free. But he knows they'll never leave. So he has to sneak in and take one of their babies who hasn't been trained to be a slave yet and sneak him over to Pharaoh's house to think like a king. To think like a free man. 
to think like someone with resource and power and strategy and vision. Moses has to be raised in Pharaoh's house so that later God can say, through you, let my people go. And the slaves will actually have a leader. And so finally, the leader is successful getting them out of their comfort zone of enslavement. And shortly after they get over there, they start wishing for their old slavement back. Meanwhile, Moses sees Mount Sinai. He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there is the Lord, there is the presence, there is the power, there is the glory. Let's go up. And the slaves say, oh, won't you go up? Won't you go see what he wants? Come and tell us what he wants, and we'll just do it. He's like, are you kidding? You don't want to go up there? Uh-uh. Oh. Mm-mm. Oh, we'd like uh We've been around other powerful people. They're scary. <laughs> We'd just like to be told what to do, if you, if you don't mind. Wow. <laughs> we'll just do whatever we have to do to stay out of trouble, man. That's all we're after. So Moses goes up, and he's having the time of his life. But he's gone a little longer than they thought. So Pastor Aaron takes over. Hey, you guys, yeah, you, you only said you're going to make one golden calf. You got two there. What's going on here? Does that one have enough gold on it? Okay. All right. Hey, that, uh, that seems a little excessive. That orgy seems a little excessive right now. If you like walking around in this priestly garment. And Moses comes back. He's got a message. He says, and he said, what is going on? Apostle Moses comes back. He says, what's going on? And Pastor Aaron says, well, well, I was afraid. I was afraid of what they would do if I tried to discipline them and father them.
And so Moses fathers in that moment. See, when you introduce a father to orphans, they think it's a master. See, they they misinterpret the behavior as master because they still think they're slaves. But when sons and daughters are disciplined by a father, they understand it's because he loves them. I'm just talking to Joaquin today. That's it. I'm just, I'm just going to talk to him. When we hear first apostles, and maybe you've already heard this. I don't know if I preached this here before, but I, it's different this time because I'm different this time. So this is how this goes. But it's important that you realize that most of us think that an apostle is a pastor of pastors. Like, I'm an old pastor, and I have other pastors who respect me. And I probably have the biggest church. Which means they all respect me for being better at something than them. I'm an apostle. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about the standard that he set in his devotion, commitment, sacrifice to following Christ. He basically says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And here's all the stuff I've done. Here's all the qualifiers I have. This creates a standard for the expectation for you of yourself. Follow me. Fill this. I've created a high bar for you to live up to in the DNA that I have imparted to you. I have become a father to you in Christ. You have lots of teachers. You have lots of people who want to tell you stuff, show you stuff, but you don't have many fathers. I have become a father to you. And so when you, when you receive the DNA of a father, you actually look like them. I take on the traits of my apostolic father. Like, if you've ever listened to, been to, been around Heidi Baker? You ever been around Heidi Baker? You ever, you ever been to one of her meetings? She just lays there for two hours screaming, Father! In the microphone. And when you first get there and you first see it, you wonder, why am I here? 
Why am I here? Why did I come here to this? Is she ever going to teach? And two hours later, you are calling your spouse, announcing that you are moving to Mozambique. Father gives you the DNA that structures the way you live your life in response to the Father. The Apostle shows you the Father. And different Apostles carry different structures that you pursue in looking like the Father. I don't know if you notice or not, but Heidi Baker's not an old guy. He then says, I'm coming to you, Corinthians. You just got to know that you're like the letters to the Corinthians. When they, when they got them, they must have been just smoking. They're like, oh, God, oh, I don't want to open this. You want to open this? You open it. Paul's coming. I'm coming to you. And when I get there, we're going to test those so-called apostles we're going to test them with a demonstration of kingdom power. Here is how we will sort out apostles from everybody else. Apostles are not people with a bunch of people in their church or a bunch of church planters. You know, we we planted a thousand churches and we have 5,000 people in our mothership. And I wrote 20 books, and I have a TV program. That's a big leader. That's a big leader. Leadership is a spiritual gift. Church planning is not making an apostle an apostle. Any more than the the CEO of Starbucks is an apostle. When I get there, we're going to have us a little showdown, like OK Corral. We're going to sort out in a hurry who the true apostles are with a demonstration of kingdom power. First apostles. Apostles are bringing the Father to the earth. And along with the Father comes who he is. And everything on earth changes. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it's already being done in heaven. That's what apostles do in their sleep. They don't even have to pray about it. They don't even have to say, Lord, I wonder what we're doing today. They're like, somebody better stop me or this is what we're doing all day long. And you don't go to apostle school. You are called by Jesus to be an apostle. Because guess what? When I speak to a room full of leaders and I say, first apostles, guess what they hear? I'm first. I'm first. I guess, I guess I'll be an apostle because I'm first. See, first what everybody wants to be until you find out what an apostle is. And you're like, yeah, they're the bottom. They're the foundation. They're the chief sacrificer. So good. Apostle leadership does something that other leaders don't do. If you have a teacher as a leader, you look on their, their team, and they have alphabet soup behind their name, all of them. So uh, what, what uh, school of theology do you go to? Okay, all right. What's your degree? Uh-huh, all right. So what's the uh, Hebrew word for tomato? <laughs> okay, good. Fantastic. Great. Everybody on their team is a teacher. Teachers empower teachers. You have an evangelist at the helm, and you have, so, uh, how many people you lead to the Lord? 500? <laughs> Just getting started, huh? Good. All right. Well, get those numbers up and call me. You've clearly never been to Africa before, have you? Okay, that's right. All right, and you? All right, yeah, 5,000? All right, okay, okay. You got potential. And uh, you, yeah. And you look around an evangelist, and they're surrounded by people who lead people to the Lord. Pastors, they're like, okay, give me a hug, give me a hug. Okay, that's pretty good, but you have to work on that. Okay. All right. Have you uh, ever hurt anybody's feelings? No? Okay. All right, good. Good. Do you know the second stanza of Kumbaya? Huh. Okay. All right. Prophets? They're just looking for the weirdest people they can find. It's like, oh, come on. Oh, come on. But apostles, apostles actually understand the whole picture. They understand the whole body. They understand that we got to have everybody suit up for this game. We need hospitality at the, at the top of their game. We need the prophets that hitting on all boards of knowledge. We need, we need the pastors to be able to lead people to the good shepherd and not become the good shepherd. We need servants, and we need yeah. leaders, and we need generosity. We need everybody. It's a huge job we got here.
And the evidence of an apostle is not that you have a big church. The evidence of an apostle is that you are changing culture. That you're actually having an, an impact on your metron, your sphere of influence, your sphere of authority. And some places have, some apostles have a, have a small metron. They have a small sphere. And others have huge reach and huge authority. So not all apostles are big leaders. But all apostles show the world the supernatural father who loves them. And the thing that will keep apostles away is the orphan wounds of the saints that go unhealed, undealt with, that unforgiveness will rest in your lives and you will make excuses for hanging on to being the judge and making the rules. Apostles are validated in the presentation of a supernatural father. It's their calling card. It's what's required. You call yourself an apostle, oh, then you must be surrounded with testimonies of the supernatural invading through your ministry on the earth. No, I just I started 100 churches. But show me the Father. Well, let me show you the Bible. Let me show you salvation. Let me show you church. We need it all, right? But I just want you to understand what apostles do. What apostles do in society is they show the world the Father. And when you strip that away, the world doesn't know who the Father is except through the twisted perversion of the serpent. That is the Father they can accuse. And they do. I stand in judgment of my father as much as I would judge my own father. And I keep him away, and I keep him away. Changing that requires confrontation, discipline, accountability, repentance, reconciliation, restoration. It's not going to happen without it. It's not, and none of that's going to happen without your permission. None of that is going to happen without your permission. Repentance can be offered to you, but it doesn't mean that you will take it. And repentance isn't something you control. It's something that, that God gives you God grants repentance like a gift. In Timothy, Paul writes and he says, dealing with false teachers, he says, pray for God to, gr to grant them the gift of repentance so that they might be released from the snares of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. 
Repentance is a gift. Peter denies Christ three times. That's a big deal. That's, that's, that's a big fail. And then Jesus comes out of the tomb and goes and finds Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, I do. That's stupid what I did. I'm so sorry. Peter, do you love me? I said, yes. Peter, do you love me? You're killing me over here, Jesus. You're killing me with these questions. Yes, I love you. It'd be great if a rooster crowed right there. <laughs> or choked on his spit or whatever. You know, like there'd be a connection there. We would see that that was cleaning up your mess. That's repentance. Judas, one of the 12, hanging out with Jesus, has a relationship with Jesus, one of the guys searches for repentance and cannot find it. And then, through self-righteousness, tries to pay for his mistakes. Repentance is what leads us back into our our experience, our relationship, our connection, our reconciliation and restoration with the Father. It starts with repentance. Repentance is you grabbing the gift. You seizing the moment. Because it's not a switch that you control. You don't make the rules of repentance. So the apostles, they introduce, they lead us in the the establishing of our adoptive status back into the kingdom into the Father's heart. The spirit of adoption flows through apostles. Without that, we have puffed up knowledge is what we have. We have judgmental orphans. We have this very confusing environment where people have permission to act as a judge and punisher of other people's mistakes, though they've been forgiven everything. Got people choking. People to death on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I guess there must be some choke them to death dance on TikTok. See, we have, a, we have a, a natural desire, a natural design, if you will, a natural design in a human being that, that functions to build trust. Infants are born 
with a natural desire and ability to bond to a perfect stranger. And the perfect stranger has a natural desire and ability to bond to someone who keeps them awake all night. And, the, and the system works like this, that there's a need, and that need is expressed through crying, generally, because most infants don't have much vocabulary, and they say, help, hey, wah, something, I need something over here, help me, help me, help me. And the person on the other side of that is thinking, how do I get that noise to stop? What do you need? What can, look at you. You are, you are uncomfortable. You're in pain. You're, you're suffering. You're hungry. You're super agitated. You're tired. Something's going on here. How can I help you? And in searching for that response and actually finding the right one, you're either tired, you're hungry, or you're dirty. I hope it's one of these three. Boom. Found it. Oh, there's comfort that has come through expressing a need and someone responding to that need. And now I trust this person. I believe that when I express my need, that there will be comfort. And this cycle continues through the relationship. And this is how human beings bond one to the other. This is true in a marriage relationship. This is true in a friendship. This is true between you and the Father. This is built into the design of human beings. It is essential that we Pay attention to that. See, make your needs known. Tell me what you need. Don't just lay there and complain. Because when I actually meet your need, I want you to know it was connected to you asking for it. I need you to see this loop we got here. Otherwise, you just think you, you I don't know what you think. This stuff just happens. I love you. I need you to know that. And then I want you to go, thank you. Thank you. I see that you gave me what I needed. Thank you. There's the loop. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll leave you the controller. I'll leave you the spiritual Nazi. I'll leave you the enforcer. No, I'll leave you the comforter. I, got, I won't leave you as an orphan. I'm going to leave you the comforter. I'm going to leave you with the one who will bond you to the heart of the Father. With so many of us, we experience these relationships where that is not at all what we experience. We experience more more anxiety in the relationship where we think we're on the verge of being in trouble all the time. And we learn that on the earth. We learn that from other relationships and then we project it onto God with the perverted 
eyes of the serpent deceiver. Do you think he can fly? Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I am Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. <laughs> um, Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. <laughs> all right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. All right, listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. For those of you that have that voice in your head, I just want to break that spirit right now in Jesus' name. Well, here's how it happens. It happens from a repetitive experience of a relationship where you either can't express your need or you don't because you don't trust and therefore you just are left in your fear your anxiety your pain your discomfort and that is you surviving that relationship and that is how you cultivate an orphan spirit it is the perversion of your design your design is to bond, to trust, to be vulnerable, to express, to connect. The perversion is to assault that, make you afraid of being seen, make you afraid to trust, make you afraid of the input and direction and leadership and discipline of a father. To Exercise your self-preservation and your desire to be the ruler.
to convince yourself that you don't need a father. You don't need a leader. You're better off without one. When you live a life of unforgiveness towards other leaders who have failed, you build a case of self-preservation. Because the spirit that is driving you is coming from the orphaned heart. The spirit that is driving you is coming from one who, ha- who feels abandoned, who feels neglected, who feels alone, who feels afraid. One who has been rejected. A survivor. You're simply surviving. And so now it is a battle of the survivors in the daily gladiator pit of life. And you have come to get something. You can't really afford to give anything except maybe bait for something you're fishing for. But a dearly loved son or daughter understands that this this is not something I'm in it by myself. I, I am a part of a family. My, my life is grafted in, and I am supplied all day, every day. I do nothing, and supply comes in and through my life. I'm actually here to give. I'm here to produce. I'm here for the benefit of other people. I'm not afraid, I'm loved, I'm cherished, I'm chosen. It's important to realize that when you strip away a father, you strip away some of the key ingredients of a healthy life. And when we, when we find out the society is in the condition it's in because Lucifer has successfully stripped away what fathers supply. By assaulting and perverting the role of father, the role of apostle on the earth, people are flying blind. They don't even really know who they're trying to emulate. We see it in the highest office in the land. We see it in CEOs of the most powerful companies in the world. We see it in the places of greatest influence. We get a Christian in the White House. And it appears as though the greatest accomplishment they can bring to the highest office in the world is hire Christians and have Bible studies. What? The anointing of Lucifer includes the supernatural. But when all we have in the office of the body of Christ is Bible teacher, pastor, 
Who will show me the supernatural God that I'm to emulate from the highest point in the land? Of course the devil would chop the head off of that thing. Of course that's the greatest threat to him. Of course he would try to destroy anything that might be effective in showing us a father. He would would garner all his forces to destroy anyone that came anywhere close to showing the world a supernatural father. So that's how you get called a cult when you're a church. When you're a church that does signs and wonders and miracles, and you show the world a loving father, you get called a cult. Best cult in the world? I'm not sure what, what, what is that, you know. I guess Jesus ran a cult. See, this is the tension that we, we live in, is that fathers actually introduce us to identity, protection, provision, love, freedom. The fathers are the ones that bring the standard for these things. The fathers are the chief sacrificers. The fathers are the, the, the chief protectors. You know, the middle of the night, there's noise outside in the living room. He doesn't go, hey, honey, sweet, wake up. Somebody's out in, the, out in the house. Here, here, take this stick. Scream if you're about to be killed, I'll call somebody. I mean, we just feel silly thinking that through. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, nourish and cherish your wives. Husbands, men, you are the standard bearer of love in your home. It's not her job. Any more than here's a stick, honey, go get him. But we don't think of it like that. We think of it as this emotionless, stoic, kind of cranky. Oh gosh, I hope I can get him to be nice to the kids. What? I had a hard day at work. What do you want? No, I don't want to do that. No, that sounds like fun. (laughs) No. I told you I loved you when we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) 
No. Standard bearer for love in the home. Yeah, you're leading everybody in love. You're showing everybody the Father. That's, that's what we're doing. See, see, we're praying right now, and this is what's happening right now, is that a spirit of Elijah is being released on the planet. Spirit of Elijah is being released on the planet, and that's the war. That's the war. We stand in an epic battle between light and dark, good and evil, because Lucifer will be destroyed if people see the Father. And God's people will be released from the slavery of fear. It's just way too easy to get comfortable in fear. But taking up the invitation, taking up the invitation to come into the light, to trust the Father, cares for you. It takes courage and it takes leadership. I want to tell you something, but I don't know if you can handle it. I want to tell you something. I want to I I show you something, and I just want to invite you to at least just watch, okay? Just watch. Just watch this happen. Ah, you can't handle this. You can't handle this. Oh. <laughs> well, we still have one more meeting. I don't know. I, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say this. I'm gonna say that that the Lord is orchestrating a revelation of a Father, a revelation that will break people free from the slavery of fear. And you have to be ready for it to come in a package that you did not design, that you do not control, and that you did not expect. So I'm going to ask Jeff to come on up here. Jeff, I, if, if there is a man who shows the world the Father, yeah. 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 
Come on. Come on. So I just want to just begin to speak blessing over you as sons and daughters. I'm going to ask the Lord to free us, all of us, from anything that's a part of the orphan spirit. And that the Lord will release to every father, and it's male, female, that the Lord it will be not be me who's speaking, but it will be the Spirit of the Father speaking to you. And one of the beautiful things about our culture in, in the Scripture, in, in, in Old Covenant times, there were those proclaimers of the blessing of God. And all the things that God wanted to do for his children to bless them. And I just want, in the name of Jesus, just to break cycles of deception, lie, and fear. And I want to release this love, this love of the Father on you, in you, so that it can be released through you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Can we just, uh, can we maybe get a keys up here right now? Thank you, Father. You can just stretch your hands to the Father right now. Thank you, Lord. Just seeing this, this African-American, I've known him since he was a, a little boy, and he grew up fatherless. And I had been yearning for him for, for days. I'd had him on my heart. He had moved out of our hood. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I'm out on my porch just praying. And all of a sudden... His mom and grandmother and he pull up in front of my house. And I just said, hey, you know, I've, I've had you on my heart now for weeks and weeks. And he could have easily become one of the casualties of our neighborhood. And I didn't know how he was, but all of a sudden there he was in front of me. And I just, I took him in my arms. And I just began to speak Abba's blessing, Father's blessing over him. We were both weeping. All he wanted was a Father's blessing. All he needed was a Father's blessing. My son, he came to me after this uh, thing that we do in the track there, Gateway Cypress. And 
it was an ancient past thing. It's a deliverance kind of thing. And my son came up to me and grabbed me and put me in his arms. And he said, Dad, I want to thank you because in all of my life, I have never heard your voice in cursing me. I have only known your voice in blessing me. So, Lord, we just thank you right now. We thank you for your amazing love. We thank you a love that you have has no measure to it. But we want to explore the most that we can explore. Hallelujah. We ask you even right now for freedom to be released. That you would break cycles of defeat. That you would open hearts, open eyes. Even right now, Lord, that you would visit us. Visit us with a fresh understanding that there is no way that you cannot love us. You are love. God is love, and you have set your affection, your love upon us. Even now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you release transformation, especially in our mind and heart? Would you transform the way that we view our life and our situation? And would you come right now with healing grace? Come on. Healing grace. Healing grace right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. He is the God that sees me. He's the God that sees you. He sees the struggle. He sees and hears the longing. And God is not a tease. He doesn't put a desire in our heart and then not make a means for that desire to be fulfilled. So, Abba, we just thank you right now for showering your people with your goodness, your love, your grace, your mercy. We give you praise. We give you worship. We give you honor. We give you glory. We thank you for what seems like failure, that you turn it for our good. We thank you. And I, I hear the scripture now, and I saw you struggling in your own blood. No, I pitied you. But I saw you, and I said to you, you shall live. We thank you especially for dreams and desires. It looked like 
were not being fulfilled, we ask you right now for hope upon each one of those places. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So maybe if you'd like to stand or whatever posture you want, would you just begin with your own voice to thank the Father for his love and goodness, grace and mercy. Can we lift our voices together and just begin to just thank him again and again. Thank you, Father. It's really okay to do this in a corporate way. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We give you praise. We give you worship. And I just feel also in this moment, just to share my own struggle, just one little bit as we were leaving our pastorate from Mason, about two hours west from here. And I realized we had hardly a salary, hardly an income, even then, but I would have to cut it to make room for an associate. And I was struggling, maybe I can get some more yards to mow or something to make up the difference. And I had this scripture in my heart. If a man does not take care of his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever and denied the faith. I knew I didn't want to be worse than an unbeliever. And all of a sudden, after prayer one morning, he set me up with these words. Just like this. Am I not your father? And so I'm just going to answer his word right back to him. Oh, yes, I, you're my father. The spirit of adoption works in me whereby I cry, I'm a father. Good answer. Are you not my child? Oh, yes, I, I, I'm your child. I've not been born by the will of man, not been born by uh, the flesh. I've been born by your spirit. I'm your child. Good answer. And he said, are you not a part of my household? I said, yes, I'd be of the household of faith. I'm answering his word back to him. And then, it's really hard to describe hurt love, the hurt love of the Father, but that last, the last question had hurt love attached to it. And just like this, he said, am I worse than an unbeliever that I cannot take care of you and your family. So, Father, we just thank you right now. Just showers. Come on, would you stretch your hands again to him? Would you turn your face towards him? Would you just begin to open up your heart and open up your mouth and just receive the abundance and the blessing of the Father? All the Father has is yours through Jesus. Hey, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We worship you. 
We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you, Lord, worship right now. And I pray for fathers to be born right now. I pray for fathers to stand up right now. I pray for fathers to arise, men and women who want to father others. We thank you. We thank you. God, I, I, I'm an example of someone that didn't have much. But what I had, I gave. I'm trying to give everything. Anybody want to say, here I am, Father. Fill, 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 fill me with the love of the Father. Fill me with the joy of acceptance in the beloved. Fill me with this glorious proclamation of your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Hey. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. More. More. We thank you for mantles, Lord. Fresh mantles. We thank you for missions, mandates, and movements to be born. Thank you, Father. We worship you. We worship you. Thank you, God. Can you just again, would you just open your lips and just begin to, with your own words, release your love to wonderful Father. Thank you, Father. We worship you. We give you glory. Thank you, Jesus. We just stretch our hands towards Joaquin and Renee.
Thank you, God. Thank you for the gift of the heavens to your body. We thank you, Lord, that their eye is on the prize, that their eyes are towards you, God. And we thank you, Lord, just for what you are doing in Bethel Austin. We thank you, Lord, that you are still the God that answers by fire. And we pray for revival fire to be released from this house, God, to be released, Lord, into the region and regions beyond. We thank you for sons and daughters that are being born in this house, born again in this house, God. And we thank you, Father, that you will be glorified, that you will be exalted above all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So we just speak a Father's blessing over them. May the Lord bless you for, with wisdom and an understanding of his will. May the Lord bless you and hold you safe and secure as a family. May the Lord show you and grant you the favor of his face, and I thank you, Lord, for even greater face-to-face -face encounters with you, Lord. And we give you praise, we give you worship, we give you glory, Father. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hey, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Someone say amen. Someone say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.